Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood. Now, this is a pretty unique episode of the podcast because it's the first time we've ever recorded a podcast with our guest at sea. The guest today is Jess Lakemanis, who is a conservationist and a sculpture artist. Her medium of choice at this stage of her career is found objects from the ocean, namely ghost gear, nets and rope that have been washed up on exposed coastlines. She takes that rope, carefully cleans it and dries it into a medium that she can then start weaving and working it with. The way we sort of are interacting with the world, the clues that we're getting, the things that are washing up on the beach, they're really indicators that we're not valuing, one, the material, which is plastic, and we're also not necessarily valuing the creatures that might sort of encounter this material. So I think it's a way of just removing ourselves from the present and looking back on ourselves. So where exactly in the ocean is Jess? Well, she's up in the Coral Sea for this episode on board Schmidt Ocean Institute's RV Falcor. And this is part of their pinging in the new year uh, expedition that set out to map these parts of the Tasman and Coral Seas, part of a fantastic series of expeditions that the team have been running all around the coastline of Australia to try and understand so much more about what happens beneath the waves. And what I love about what Schmidt Ocean Institute are doing is that they take artists away in conjunction with all the scientists and make sure that art is just one of the many ways that the science is communicated. So you can go and check out Jess Lake Manis's work. You can see the finished project that she created on board. If you watch this podcast on YouTube, you'll actually see the artwork behind Jess, but otherwise you can go and check out her website or her socials to see exactly what it turned out like. Big thanks to Jess, love her work, been a friend of hers for a very long time, and I'm just so grateful to see how she's contributing to a rich narrative around how humanity is adversely impacting planet ocean. Thanks as always for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Welcome to this special episode of the Ocean Impact Podcast, where we are tuning in with artist, sculpturist and conservationist Jess Lakemanis, who is in fact tuning into the podcast from the middle of the Coral Sea, uh, the Tasman Sea, on board the research vessel Falcor with the Schmidt Ocean Institute. Jess, this is a really exciting opportunity to talk to someone who is in the middle of the ocean. How are you? So well, Tim. It's so fantastic to talk to you. And I'm actually quite blown away that here I am floating out in the middle of the Tasman and Coral Sea. It's extraordinary. And who would have thought 2021 would begin like this? Yeah, so you're on board an expedition, which is the first of uh, Schmidt's uh, expeditions of 2021. It's called Pinging in the New Year, and we'll explain a little bit about why that is the name of the ex, uh, uh, expedition. But um, 
I think what we'll obviously let people know is that there's a bit of a, a bit of a delay on the recording just simply because of the technology required. I was saying before that you can hardly tell that you are at sea, but maybe you can reveal behind your artwork for us a little telltale sign. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about where you are. Yeah, I'm actually out in the northern Tasman and the Coral Sea. So we're out here and it's it's the beginning of the sustainable ocean decade for the UN. So it's really about collecting as much data as possible that will really go on to inform a lot of decisions that can be made to support the health of the ocean. So to be out here and beginning the year with that sort of research is quite extraordinary. And what we're doing is actually um, working with marine technicians and scientists to get a really clear picture of what the ocean floor looks like. And that can really tell us a lot about the history, what's happened throughout this really long time scale and how the tectonic plates have sort of separated, what's occurred under the ocean. And they can also read uh, different magnetizations with certain uh, instruments. And that really just paints a fascinating picture of the history of the ocean floor. And that can tell us one, what's happened in the past and also maybe what's likely to happen in the future as well. Yeah, fantastic. And you know, the Ocean Institute has been investing in ocean research for, for over a decade now. And Falcor has completed an incredible, you know, 30 cruises covering 154,000 kilometres and accommodating 371 scientists. Uh, you're not there as a scientist, you're there as an artist at sea, and we'll get to that. But yeah, this is a partnership, I believe, um, with the Schmidt Ocean Institute, with the Nippon Foundation and the Jebco Seabed 2030 initiative and really trying to increase our understanding of the ocean, particularly the ocean floor. And as you mentioned there, you're contributing to some of the first data that feeds into the UN decade of ocean science for sustainable development. So tell us your, in your opinion, like what have you found really inspiring and enlightening when discovering the research that is being undertaken and what it means to the understanding of the ocean and our planet. Yeah, I think what we're learning out here is just extraordinary. For me, as an artist, you know, I, I'm so drawn to the ocean and I'm really, I've always been really sort of aware of our human impact on the ocean and what we're sort of contributing to that. But what's going on underwater has sort of been formed over such a long time period. So we're really just um, looking at this information and for me to actually have this deepened understanding of these formations, how the currents move, what that might mean and, and how that can sort of feed back into our decision-making going forward in terms of, you know, managing fisheries, also just, I guess our impact on the oceans, we're seeing warming and acidification and all these sorts of things. So all the information we're collecting will really sort of help inform bigger picture decision-making. And I think one of the most incredible things about the Schmidt Ocean Institute and, and what they're sort of doing is that they're making this data available to everything, everyone and it's really a collaborative process. And I think that for me is just 
what is so inspiring and really key because, you know, we're not really going to be able to solve some of these challenges or overcome challenges and make these positive, constructive decisions that are sustainable without actually having the information and then working together on those solutions. So I, I'm blown away by the time scale that I'm seeing and, and the amount of information we're being able to read from the rocks, from the formations, but then just so inspired by the scientists being able to interpret that information and what that potential information can help us sort of find in the future. So I think the possibilities are amazing. Yeah. And I really encourage people, if you're discovering, you know, Schmidt Ocean uh, Institute for the first time, jump on to schmidtocean.org. It's an incredible website with just so many avenues for you to explore the science, the previous expeditions, the people, the why. And one of the most incredible things is you can dive into each of these cruises like your one and see the sort of the transect that the vessel has taken. Um, so yeah, maybe just describe a little bit about what has taken place over the last few weeks. You obviously left from uh, the port of Brisbane and you've gone up northeast of Fraser Island and you've essentially been zigzagging across all this really interesting undersea bathometry to, to get these models and this information. to the Fraser Seamount and there's a couple of different formations there. So there's seamounts which have actually, um, they're actually mountain, mountains under the ocean. So they haven't actually become islands or they may have been islands in the past and then sunk down as the crust has shifted. The other thing that we're seeing is, uh, and I will probably pronounce this incorrectly, but guyots and they are, seem impacted by uh, the wave formation. So when they were above the ocean, uh, they would have been impacted by tides and waves and slowly they sort of got flattened and severed and then they sunk down again. So we're, we're seeing really interesting formations. We can tell if they were above the surface of the water or below. And we can also look at things like if, um, well, we, we don't have the, the RV Sebastian remote operated vehicle down at the moment. So you don't necessarily see if there's corals down there, but corals are also an indicator of um, where, where the different temperatures have been at different points in history. So there's a line called the Darwin line, and that actually is an indicator if coral has sort of grown. The Darwin line actually north of the Darwin line coral will grow and south of the Darwin line it doesn't so we can actually see if that line has moved throughout history by looking at some of these formations so we'll be able to see into the past essentially so it's a bit of a time capsule which is very cool it's super cool and uh you know for me it's you know obviously charting a course back to Gondwana and all these previous incarnations of our planet and terrestrial land masses and yeah incredible that you guys can actually be a, a you know a crystal ball back into millions and even billions of years of the, the history of our planet why don't we just um sort of deviate there and just sort of say how does Jess Lake Manus get to be in this opportunity out there, uh, obviously <laughs> undertaking your art, but amongst all these incredible scientists doing some leading research. 
Yeah, well, I, I was just really super fortunate to have this opportunity come up. I think it was partially, you know, you, Tim, who alerted uh, Schmidt Ocean and myself to each other. And they've just got an amazing program where they're taking scientists out and actually giving them the op opportunity to use all of their facilities on board. And when there's space, they also take an artist. So this is how I landed on board the ship. But the beauty of what they're doing is really bringing together different disciplines, different scientists who are focused on different areas and different, different areas of study and thought and putting all of these people together in this really incredible vessel in the middle of the ocean with all this technology. And they're really sort of championing that sharing of information, ideas and exciting things happen, I think, when you're sort of exposed to ideas and knowledge that are really so outside of just the everyday experience. I mean, it's just, I've, I've learned so much. I've been talking to scientists and hearing about Gondwana and geological timescales. And, and then I'm, you know, talking to the bird ecologists above who are, who are working and studying the birds and they're looking at their the success rate in catching flying fish. And then there's these kleptoparasitic birds who steal the other birds food and that's how they survive and it's just this really rough environment the sea the open ocean is so raw and so harsh and it's just extraordinary what these creatures are able to do to survive so yeah I mean here we are we're all thrown together and I think everyone's being really inspired by each other which is exciting so let's talk about inspiration. Obviously, you've got a, a work in progress artwork behind you, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about where you sense this experience is going to inspire your art. And maybe as part of this uh, response, you can tell us a little bit about the journey of your art in previous years. Yeah, so behind you can see my work in progress. It's uh, curiously parallels some of the mapping we're doing quite. Uh, quite significantly so it's really um it's it's really interesting because with my work I've always been really interested in what's beneath the surface and it's been very much driven by humankind's relationship with the natural world how we connected to that how we're also disconnected in a lot of ways and and what that sort of means uh, in terms of how we relate to it so for me, I sort of often use that idea of the surface and the submerged, what, what's apparent and then what's sort of beneath the surface. So there's these really interesting dualities. And I feel like for me, uh, with my work, I've often sort of played around with the whole idea of time, looking back um, into the past and what might someone of the future look back and see, you know, of our current modern world and often, I'll, you know, we'll arrive at the whole age of the Anthropocene where we're having this impact and it's plastic driven and, and then we're paralleled with these underwater landscapes that have just such a long time scale. It's, you know, hundreds of millions of years. And, and I really like the idea of these hidden forces, these, this movement. And another thing I learned, which you'll love is that these tectonic plates they actually recycle themselves as they as they kind of 
subduct under the other tectonic plates. They'll go back and turn into molten uh, form. So it's very interesting. The earth is so wise. It's always regenerative and it's sustainable. And I think we can learn a lot from it. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit about the inspiration behind my work. Makes you just sort of realize how perfectly suited you were to this particular expedition. Um, yeah, you must feel, and everyone involved must feel really, um, you know, so so stoked that you are the artist at sea for this particular voyage and, and interpreting it in that way. Yeah, I mean, look, I hope so. I feel as if we've all been so fortunate and everyone on board is just so lovely and generous of their knowledge and time and it's just been wonderful to connect and and to just glean these little amazing insights and things that I was just not aware of in the past and I really think for me you know as much as my work is sort of self and social reflection it's 100% informed by science and inspired by science you know the it's sort of that cross-pollination of you know the communication and the science and and I think different things really resonate with different people, but often it's it's me having an experience and really being um, intrigued by something and that has sort of inspired me to dive deeper and, and learn the science and the facts behind it and vice versa. So it's great. great. So obviously anyone who um, wants to go and dive a little bit deeper into your art can go to jessicalakeminus.com and they'll see that you know, your focus is on this beautiful art of, of weaving and, and using found objects, namely uh, discarded ghost nets, fishing nets and ropes that have been lost at sea and then regurgitated and you then go through the arduous task of retrieving them and bringing them back to your studio. So tell us a little bit about this practice of finding these objects, going through that process of getting them into the studio and then the practice of the weaving that you've been focused on. Yeah, it's um, it's quite hilarious, uh, really, to think back to it beginning as just a little idea that sort of evolved out of some other creative work I was doing. But it definitely just gripped its talons in and wouldn't let me go. So I became um, possessed by the idea, and I really just ended up seeking out different environmental organisations who I knew were cleaning up super remote beaches and remote areas. And I basically hassled them until they would let me on board or let, let me join their expedition. And, and on those expeditions, you know, we traveled to super remote areas, the Southwest coast of Tasmania, which is a wilderness world heritage area, Northern Queensland, far North Queensland, up with the salty crocodiles up there. So I've been to some really rugged environments, sourced this material that's just been at large on the oak on the open seas and and then made my way back home with it to uh to do my bidding but you know on those trips it's really uh you know you really see the stark impact we're making on the planet but it's also at the same time really inspiring because you're there with a number of other people and and within a couple of hours you're able to clean what was a you know a visibly just totally trash beach and it becomes at least clean to the naked eye you know microplastics are a whole nother story but I know you know that well Tim <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah absolutely tell us a little bit about I mean this 
and people definitely need to go and, you know, if they're listening to this podcast, they can't see the visual behind you and they need to go onto your website or, or follow your socials to see some of the works. But some of the inspiration, because the, the objects are really quite unique. Um, the names are fantastic. Maybe just dive a little bit deeper into maybe some of your previous exhibitions, your bodies of work, the practice itself, um, and, and what you're really trying to communicate through those, um, those objects you create. Yeah, so what I, what I do is really pull apart, pull, pull apart the rope and reimagine the form. And the form, I'm sort of playing with attention of using a really inorganic, pervasive material that just will never really disappear or it might take, you know, hundreds of years. And then juxtaposing that with these really sort of quite organic, soft forms, which is what I end up weaving and creating. So it just creates this really strange, you know, incongruous like tension between the two. And, and I, and I like creating that tension because it forces people to sort of be drawn in and try and understand what, what is going on between the two, because I quite, I find it quite interesting. You know, sometimes people don't actually think that it's, a inorganic material or it takes them a little bit more to to sort of get their head around and really that for me the beauty of artwork is that it's not me telling someone what they should think or feel or if they you know have to care about plastic or you know our human relationship with nature it's really me offering people a way to see the world differently and just to you know a different lens through which to view the world and and then it gives them the opportunity to experience the work in the way that they wish so for me that's a beauty of art because i think sometimes you can really we can all be quite overwhelmed by the amount of information that we're sort of being given and also feelings as if we're being told what to do with that information and for me just inviting people to be curious and to ask questions and and to interact with the work in that three-dimensional space. That's sort of what, what I love offering and and I hope that people just find something in it, whatever it is to them, is fine by me. Yeah, awesome. And, um, yeah, everyone needs to keep an eye out on you for opportunities to obviously go and experience your art in the in the flesh. I'm sure there'll be some plans for some future ex exhibitions. Tell us about some of the names of the artworks and specifically this sort of reference to, you know, BCE or, or, or BC. What, what are some of those dating <laughs> mechanisms and, and why do you incorporate those in the, in the titles? Yeah, I actually have quite a bit of fun with the titles. That's one of my favorite parts and I guess it's my way of being a little bit humorous and a little bit playful, but the idea is really derived from, you know, dating objects that have been found in the past. So if we're looking at, you know, different objects from the pyramids or from, sorry, from Egypt or that have been uncovered by archeologists. So it's really this archeological time reference. And I want to actually challenge people's perception of time remove them almost from the present and peer back into the present from a different times, perhaps the future. So for me, I like to end the idea of, of our future 
you know, our, our basically our children and their children looking back at what we've done, at what we sort of were living, how we were living today and how might they sort of view our world and the decisions we were making, the objects we were using. So just as we look to the past and try and understand the value sets of these different cultures and what motivated them and what drove them, that's really what's going to happen to us, you know, in the future. So what do we want that to look like? You know, at the moment, we, the way we sort of are interacting with the world, the clues that we're getting, the things that are washing up on the beach, they're really indicators that we're not valuing, one, the material, which is plastic, and we're also not necessarily valuing the creatures that might sort of encounter this material. So I think it's a way of just removing ourselves from the present and looking back on ourselves, not emotionally, but just as a really sort of almost a detective exercise. So that's a little bit of the background for the names. Mm, I love it. And obviously makes it pretty clear why plastic is such a great thematic for, for you to be focused on because so much of what you're talking about there is is revealed in amongst this disastrous problem of plastic pollution and, and waste and consumption. And I guess I might just sort of um, tell the, the listeners here that you know this really is indicative of where our origin story is together, Jess, because it would have been back in about 2011 or 2012 when we first met and you showed me your incredible detailed sketches of um, I suppose, uh, yeah, your appreciation of Chris Jordan's photographic work of lace and albatrosses on Midway Atoll. And so, you know, you really are one of the very early pioneers of, of art communication around plastics. How are you feeling now almost a decade on from when you were perhaps first undertaking your exploration of plastic? How are you feeling about the status of this huge ocean challenge and, and what's been done globally to address it? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a massive challenge, but I also think we have come a long way. You know, it, it's interesting to think back to that moment in time. I was being, you know, I had definitely been rattled by Chris Jordan's work and I was so motivated to respond in my own way, just simply to basically process what was going on. I'd been privy to, you know, travelling in third world countries and places where there was a lack of waste management, but you know, there was a few pivotal moments for me and um, one of those was just stumbling across the photographs of Chris Jordan. So I, I guess in that moment it was quite, there was a lot of despair and a lot of overwhelm, but I think the more and more I've sort of dug into that journey and tried to find my own voice and, and reflect upon it, uh, it's also just fortuitous, fortuitous like in, in a sense, it's, it's driven me along this path that has allowed me to meet individuals who are just as motivated and passionate as me to really solve the problem. And I find a lot of inspiration in that. And I think the more I go along that journey, the more and more people I meet who are also making a positive impact. Tim, like yourself, you know, it was amazing to contribute to the take three movement in the early days and to continue to be part of that. I think there's a lot of things that we can all do that uh, are just small contributions, but on mass, 
they actually are the things that make a big difference, having the conversations. And then what you're doing at the moment with empowering business to be more sustainable, I think that to me is so inspiring. Business is super powerful in the sense of we can actually make quick changes in business. Well, not quick, but empower ourselves to make smarter design design choices and those just have the power to have such a ripple on effect and ultimately I think you know we're not going to be able to get away with making bad choices in the future people just won't stand for it because I feel as if from what I'm seeing people are just becoming more and more educated in that space and demanding more so I think that's really exciting and it fills me with optimism and yeah, I just, I love seeing people tackling this problem in so many different ways with their own skill sets. I think there's so much to be excited and inspired by. Yeah, I'm feeling you there, Jess. Um, it's so true in the sense that people like Chris Jordan and others, their, their work was pioneering at the time, which then created this incredible motivation and passion for other pioneers yourself and myself included and then it just cascades down and to the point where you get to in 2021 where there's not that many people in um in, in educated corners of the world that aren't familiar that plastic pollution is a problem and it stems from you know our consumption and, and bad business and bad practices and then the flip side to that is you've got this huge upwelling um, nice little pun given some of the research you guys are doing yeah. out there of people that won't tolerate that anymore. And if someone comes along with a solution which is better than the other option, they're going to choose it. And even if it costs more or there's a bit of difficulty involved, they're going to do that. And that trend is only going one way and that's up. And so that really, I suppose, is what allowed me to really shift focus to what OIO's mission is and say, you know what, it's time. We need a massive influx of new businesses that can start to not only you know, take over the bad business, but just set a new precedent and a new level of expectation. So the big guys know they have to move faster or otherwise they're going to get challenged by the up and comers. Definitely. And it is nice to see that sort of those different businesses just eclipsing what the standard is and what is possible. And I think, the beauty of that too, that sort of movement is it's just only only increases in its in its sort of reach and it is so exciting to see that sort of take take off because the more people that see that it's it's really just it almost takes on a life of its own and then at a certain point you can't rein it rein it in anymore. Mm. Why don't we go a little bit um, back a couple of steps? I want to go a little bit more into um, RV Falcor because that's where you are and it is the first time we've done a podcast with uh, one of the guests tuning in from the sea. Am I right in reading that um, karaoke is a big thing on board, Falcor? <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, some people are very passionate about uh karaoke I might just say whenever I sung I probably killed half the ship um but <laughs> through through torture of their eardrums but uh yeah the, the team definitely have a good time on board there is actually a dress-up box we've been playing a few games of uno so it has been a little bit competitive but uh it's a, it's a great contrast to you know 
you've got to switch off the mind every now and then and and it just creates that great breeding ground for creative ideas so we've definitely got a good team on board and everyone's just so friendly and helpful and knowledgeable in, in their own areas and also much better singers than, than I actually am. <laughs> is there a bit of a day in the life of, of, of Falcor or is it um, every day is a little bit different? Maybe you sort of run us through a bit of a, a feeling of what it's like to you know, wake up and have a day on this incredible research vessel. Yeah, well, day in the life. I mean, it's really, you know, you wake up and you've generally been rocking all night. It has been a little bumpy out here. So, you know, you may have had some a bit of an intermittent sleep, but you jump out of bed anyway and try and catch the sun sunrise if, if you're up early enough. Then we sort of have set meal time so that everyone on board the ship with their different shifts are able to kind of coordinate for that. So get down to breakfast. We're fed very well, almost too well. I've got to get back on the exercise program soon. But um, then I would generally head down towards the garage, which is where I've set up my creative studio. So I'm working out at the back hangar, which is usually where the um, ROV Sebastian would be, the submarine, but it's not on board this trip, unfortunately. <laughs> And um, so I have, well, unfortunately and fortunately, so for me, I have actually been able to capitalise on that space and for the first time ever and probably the first time, the only time, I'll actually have a waterfront studio. Wow. So I've been enjoying that. Occasionally get a little bit of water coming over the side, so that's pretty interesting. And, uh, yeah, then I'll spend a little bit of time in the control room which is where they're actually doing all the data crunching and and actually you know reading the measurements and mapping the ocean floor so to um to make sure all that data is accurate there's often um an xbt that goes down which is to read the temperature and density of the ocean water and that actually helps them sort of calibrate the multi-beam and make sure the data is accurate. So that happens occasionally when the when the the water shifts and we have to get a clearer reading. Then I'll spend a little bit of time up the top with the bird ecologists, just watching the the antics go on up there as the boobies chase the flying fish and squawk at each other and have these you know, dramatic contests. So that's been quite entertaining actually to watch and to see their grace and poise and they're just such refined creatures. And, uh, you know, you really have to be in these sort of open, open, open ocean conditions. It's, it's definitely not easy, I think. So Gemma, one of the bird ecologists upstairs has actually been uh, calculating their success rate and I, I don't think it's very high they're taking a lot of dives and a lot of chases to actually catch a fish so every meal counts out here and then yeah we, we've got lunch thrown in the middle of that and then dinner and we've also been entertained by the scientists or or well educated really in their seminars at sea we did a little stowaway drill one uh one day, which was quite fantastic. Everyone uh, put on their best hide and seek. And uh, yeah, then watch the sunset. 
Gosh, and am I right in that you're um, you're sort of nearing the last few days on the vessel? So I'm guessing these last uh, you know, few sunsets will be pretty special as you what make your way back to Brisbane. Yeah, we'll be heading back to Brisbane, and we will arrive back on the 26th. And the the sunsets are absolutely extraordinary. You know, it's not very often that you get to see sunset. You know, with 360 views of the ocean and just the light reflecting and it, it's absolutely gorgeous and the stars are phenomenal as well so definitely uh definitely soaking up the last few days out here it's definitely a treat yeah and as i was saying before for anyone who wants to go and see where the vessel is going next just go onto the schmidtocean.org and you can explore the the previous cruises as well as see those ones coming up. I mean, what an incredible gift to the world and a gift to science to have this vessel um, available and just charting such incredible expeditions around planet Ocean. Yeah, we're truly so fortunate. And I think Australia has been very lucky this year in that we've just had so much more of the ocean map. They've been sending down the Sebastian ROV submarine and it's also been collecting phenomenal just photographs and video of these underwater landscapes that will just blow your mind it it's seriously another world down there and uh, I'd encourage everyone to just go and take a peek at these incredible creatures underwater yeah I mean one of the uh, ex expeditions over to the Ningaloo Canyons off West Australia, which was back in sort of March, April last year, 2020. That was where that image was beamed all around the world. I mean, it got huge exposure of this siphonophore, which is sort of being billed as potentially the longest uh, living organism ever captured. It was over 150 feet long. So those ROVs and the images that they are actually capturing are just groundbreaking. They're phenomenal. It's, it's extraordinary. So it's how does, phenomenal. Uh, how does it sort of feel, I guess, to be sort of part of, you know, the Schmidt Ocean Institute now and the, the vision of the founders, Eric and Wendy? And you know, so how do you hope this will lead into that future intersection of your art and science? Yeah, what I hope to do from this, well, what I will do from my time aboard Falcor is really just take the learnings away and I'm, I'm going to be building a new body of work from the inspiration, partially, you know, an evolution of previous ideas, but also heavily influenced by my time aboard Falcor, the things I've learned about these tectonic plates and, and different formations. And I'm going to take that and work on another large body of work, which will be will become a solo show that I hope to exhibit at the end of this year. So I really just, you know, for me, science is just such a important piece of the puzzle and the technology is just continuing to advance. And I think, you know, it's, it's really amazing to have more people aware of what, what the science can contribute. And then on the counterpoint, just, expose different people to art to science and have that sort of those worlds merging and i think 
you know, if, if I can sort of be a tiny piece of that puzzle in sharing what I've learned and also just engaging people differently through art, then I'll be happy. And what about a little little teaser here? You've obviously got the work in progress behind you, which is inspired by that sort of transactor vessel. But I did see a sketch on the guest log that looked like there could be some structure around these seamounts and undersea volcanoes. And I'd imagine that is going to be beautifully tied in with your technique. Yeah, I'm really, um, really, I mean, I've always been fascinated by landscape and really just, it's funny because I always just as a kid just wanted to drain the ocean so I could see what was going on under there. It was just this weird idea I had. And I, and I think for me, just bringing that phenomenal landscape to life through my artwork is going to be really fun. I'm building up different densities and, and exploring texture. And I'm really sort of going to be reflecting some of those uh, forces that are at play that are just unseen, you know, on these, on these bigger time scales. So it'll definitely be an evolution of that time perspective sort of exploration. And then also paralleling that with, you know, humankind and, and how we fit into the piece of the puzzle, you know, our, our connection, potentially our disconnection. Well, I can't wait to see the works and to read the names of your new art pieces. <laughs> Look, we've been chatting for uh, you know a little while now, so we'll start to to move towards wrapping it up. But I'm you know acutely conscious that uh, I've been the one asking all the questions, and there might be some things that we've missed or that you'd like to to talk about. So, uh, what's sort of coming up for you as some some final words or maybe some questions to to include in the podcast? Oh, good question. Um, oh, let me think. Yeah, I think I think we've covered a lot. I'm I'm just really excited to just use my work to challenge people to sort of think differently and challenge their perspectives. And you know, I'm just really excited and inspired by all the work that you're doing at Ocean Impact Organization and the scientists. And I'm just really, for me, from this voyage, I'm really excited to just go out and learn more about, you know, the currents of the ocean, the impacts of, you know, global warming, ocean acidification, all these things that we sort of intertwined with and I think there's just so much more that we can educate ourselves on and I'm really excited to just go forth and do that. Yeah one comment on that before we sort of wrap things up you know there could be people out there probably not people who are tuning to this podcast but others going well what, what's the point in going out there and spending all this time and energy and money mapping the seafloor and there was a statement on one of the descriptors for the cruise you know, these uh, seamounts and under, the undersea bathymetry, it dictates and guides the ocean currents which create the stable ocean climate that we've experienced for, you know, for the last 10,000 plus years. And so to think that this undersea bathymetry is out of sight, out of mind, and therefore not impacting us every day is completely ignorant. They are so fundamentally important <laughs> to the climate which um, enables us to, to live and to coexist together on this little blue marble in a giant black space. So it's very, very important stuff you're doing. It's so important. And, and you know, it is also interlinked. You know, being out here has just highlighted to me 
two things, but the world is so vast and the ocean is just extraordinarily, extraordinarily large, but equally so it is just so interconnected and so small at the same time. So we really are having a major impact. We, we've actually done some opportunistic science out here and we have been looking at the underway water for microplastics and it's showing up out here as well. Um, you know, and, and like you said, all these systems are interlinked. The ocean currents, you know, feed different life forms, have an influence on the plankton, zooplankton. And as soon as our plankton is in peril, you know, and if that's via warming, acidification, whatever it is, that impacts everything up the food chain and we're on that food chain. So we really need a love and care for our oceans and and make wise decisions around our sort of relationship with it yeah which brings us in a nice roundabout way sort of back to that quote from wendy schmidt which i don't have it written here in full but you know we you know we can't care for something that we don't understand and so we simply can't care if we don't know which is why they've invested so much in falcor in science in the opportunity to have you there interpreting it in your way and I think that's a pretty special thing yeah I feel so fortunate to be here it's definitely an extraordinary experience okay so doing amazing work to close it out Jess just um let everyone know where they can find you we've mentioned a couple of links in the podcast but give everyone your social handles your website and uh and say farewell Thanks so much, Tim. So appreciate being here and connecting with you. You can find my current work on jesslatemarnas.com and my social handle is at jesslatemarnas. That's, okay. I won't spell it. We can just. Yeah. And obviously a big thanks to everyone uh, at Schmidt Ocean Institute who helped with the technology and connectivity to make this happen today. Jess, it's been an absolute pleasure. Enjoy the last couple of days on the vessel and hope to see you soon. Thanks so much, Tim. Appreciate it so much.